Peter, we've been in 2 Peter for a few weeks. We're in chapter 2. Um, and this section is kind of hard to preach in terms of how to break it up because it really all belongs together, um, really through the end of the book, almost the end of the book. I'm going to split it up into three chunks. So this is part one of three parts all covering the same section. I would like to do it all in one sermon, but it would be a really long sermon that only I would enjoy. And the rest of you, especially your kids, would be crying by the end of it. So we'll do it in three chunks, okay? And so um, Peter's fired up, okay? He is extra grumpy in the text this morning. He is in rare, well, I shouldn't say rare form. I have a sense, strong sense that Peter was often grumpy about certain things, but he's grumpy about the right thing, okay? This is not an ungodly grumpiness. There's nothing ungodly about it. He's right to be intense, and he will say some very intense things that are not popular for people to say now, nor were they then, okay? But this is part of why God gave us Peter. He's a gift to the church because he's willing to say things that maybe other people aren't willing to say. It's one of the things I love about him, okay? And so the question is, why is he so fired up? Why is he so intense? Why does he say things the way he says them? Because he's talking about false teachers. And I don't know about you, but I don't find that I get particularly, well, maybe I do, but I think most of us don't get really intense about false teachers. We get intense about other things. But this is not one I see a lot of people writing, you know, angry letters about, but Peter does, and it's because Peter sees something, sees how dangerous these people actually are. More specifically, Peter writes chapter 2 as a warning that false teachers, as well as those that follow them, are headed for terrible destruction at the hand of God. Peter does not mix words. He is not subtle. He never really is. He means every word, and we should heed every word, okay? So that's my setup for what you're about to read. Um, Peter doesn't go into any detail exactly what the false teaching is, which gives us some freedom um, to kind of say, okay, what is false teaching today, which is nice. Um, but he does seem, it seems it has more to do with a sinful lifestyle than written doctrine at the time. So he's talking about people that are, have embraced a certain lifestyle of sin that he is condemning, not only because they're living it, but they're also, te- there's a teaching behind it that says, this is, this is good. This is godly behavior. God wants me to live this way, right? Already starts to feel a little relevant, doesn't it? So let's read just the first three verses. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. It's an intense phrase. Their destruction is not asleep. So Peter's targeting false teachers that are a part of the, Christ, the church community. Okay, this is important, very important note. Okay, he's talking to people inside the church. This is like a family meeting he's having. 
right? He's not, he's not preaching to the world outside the church in this case. He's talking about people inside the church teaching, bringing in these destructive heresies. They're like the false prophets of the Old Testament that arose among the people, okay? This is not some outsider that's easily identified as an outsider. This is an insider, okay? These are people that consider themselves to be Christians, or at least spiritual, or say, I believe in God. There are people who claim to be a part of the church. These are also not necessarily people standing behind pulpits. They might be. A false teacher doesn't necessarily have the title of teacher that they would assign to themselves. These false teachers are characterized first by a lifestyle of sensuality. You could also call that licentiousness. There's a lot of different words you could attach to that and translate that as. Verse 10 tells us that they are also characterized by indulging in, quote, the lust of the defiling passion, greed, and despising authority. That's their characteristics. And he gets into more, which we'll cover next week in the next section. In part two, that's what we'll see. We'll see pride and boastfulness. They're actually boasting in their immorality. Not just, this is not even someone who's maybe living a sinful lifestyle and hiding it. This is someone who's embraced a sinful lifestyle, boasting in it, and teaching others that it's actually godly, okay? You start to see why he's a little upset. <laughs> These false teachers secretly bring in what Peter calls destructive heresies. Heresy is an interesting word to try to define. At this point in this time, heresy just meant a school of thought or a teaching, okay? It sort of migrated because of verses like this to mean a school of thought that is not Christian. That's what we mean by it now, but at this time it just meant there's this faction inside the church that is teaching this and living out this false doctrine, okay? So by definition, history, heresy is a destructive false doctrine that comes from within the church, we tend to spend a lot of time being angry about all the bad stuff outside the church. And Peter is particularly irritated about the bad stuff inside the church. Because the church is actually a really, really big deal. I think you feel that this morning if you're here. Heather's word was really, it just got me. That, that's, that the church is precious to God. And even when we're all, all of Living Hope Church is here, we are still, in a sense, separated from other Christians in other churches. That's a powerful thought. But in heaven, we'll be all coming. It'll be like this big family reunion of people we didn't know we knew, right? I mean, I feel like I know Peter. Here we are in Second Peter, and I feel like I kind of feel like I know the guy, right? I kind of know the way he talks, the way he thinks. And when I meet him, it's going to be really cool. So 1 Corinthians 6.20 says that we are bought with a price. That's a key idea in Peter's letter here. He says we're, we are never free agents. He says one of the things these false teachers are doing are they're denying the master who bought them. He's talking about Jesus. We're bought, we are purchased with a price. So you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to Christ. That's Peter's or Paul's language is also Peter's. You are free, but you're free to obey God. <laughs> you're free to do the will of God. You're not free to do whatever you want to do. We never are. 
So Peter says these false teachers are going so far as to deny the cross, essentially. To say that what Jesus did has no hold on them, holds no sway over their life, and they can do as they please. They, are not, they have not been purchased by him. They are free agents. This likely means that they are living in a way that embraces their own sensuality or shameful ways or licentiousness there in verse 2. They may or may not be doctrinally denying the cross, but they are denying the cross by the way they live. Okay? Verse 3 says, In their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Meaning, destruction is coming now. (laughs) Like the destruction has been settled, and it's coming. It's not sleeping somewhere one day to wake up. It is coming now. Look at verses 4 through 10. He says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lusts of defiling passion and despising authority. So Peter gives three kind of scriptural proofs from the Old Testament as a warning to these false teachers that those and those that follow them that they are headed for destruction of God. He talks about fallen angels, talks about the flood and Noah and Sodom and Lot. I'm not going to go back and teach every one of those stories, but we can sum it up and say when the angels sinned against God, what did God do? He threw them out of heaven into hell. That's one example. Even the angels don't escape. When they defy God, they get the wrath of God. Then we look at the flood and Noah. God flooded the earth and he rescued Noah because Noah was righteous, demonstrating to us that God knows and he can protect the righteous while at the same time judging the unrighteous. Okay? Same point with Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot. God judged Sodom and Gomorrah and rescued Lot. Okay? There are a lot of applications to modern life here, to the church right now. I mean, just the very idea of kind of worshiping sensuality. Isn't that a thing? (laughs) Worshiping just feeling good, and feeling good becomes the definition of what is good and right. And we have seen that belief system invade and infect the church. Over and over and over again, we see examples all over. One that I want to emphasize this week, and there's more to come next week and the week after, that God is zealous for the sanctity of his house. He actually cares, not just that there is a church, but that the church is holy and that the church is obedient to him. 
and that sheep are not led astray by wolves pretending to be sheep. He doesn't take us or the church, the universal church around the world, lightly. It's not a small thing to him. It's a big thing. He doesn't take how we live lightly. He does not take what we believe lightly. What you believe is a big deal. Peter's so intense because he understands how important these things are to God and to the sanctity of the church. It matters to him. More specifically, the world's broken ideas regarding sex, marriage, and autonomy of the individual, that the individual is master of their own fate. I, am not, I, don't, I don't belong to anyone. I can do as I please. Right? The, the ultimate value of the world is that if it's for you to, to fully embrace who you are and who you want to be, and the ultimate success is just being happy with yourself. That is not a biblical idea because you've been purchased and the ultimate success is to be who God made you to be, is to be who God has called you to be, to be the person, an exact representation of, who, of the image of God that he made you to be from the beginning. And that is not the way the world thinks. And that philosophy of self-actualization has very much invaded church what's the prevailing version of the gospel in the world is that god jesus died to make you happy jesus died for you to be healthy and rich and have no problems and it's a false gospel isn't it God wants to have, give you to have joy, but if you, what the true gospel is, the true joy is in being like Jesus, right? That's where true joy and satisfaction comes from. Despite the hardship, following Jesus and obeying him is the ultimate fulfillment. What's interesting about this is, I think part of it is that sometimes it's not doctrine on paper, it's just what we believe and how we act. Sometimes it's more like an implied doctrine. You know, not at this time, not a lot of doctrine was written down. They had the Old Testament, the New Testament was being written. They had a couple of short creeds, but we didn't have, like, systematic theology, right? So a lot of this stuff was just teachings that were sort of migrating through the church. The world has a lot of broken ideas that are actually dangerous, I believe that the days of the church being able to just not talk about things is over. It's just over. I mean, it was nice while it lasted to be able to, to just not address things because not talking about it in, becomes at some point an implicit, tacit approval of those things. Lack of clarity. When in church embraces false doctrine, Either by teaching it or by ignoring it, it ceases to be a church and becomes an object of destruction. That's Peter's point. That's a scary thought. Peter's not addressing, we should make sure we understand, and anyone watching this later understands, Peter's not addressing seekers from outside the faith here. 
If you're not a Christian and you're trying to understand the Christian teaching about things, then that's a different situation for which we should have a lot of patience. But Peter has zip patience, zero patience for people inside the church embracing and teaching false doctrine and false lifestyles. The rebuke here is for inside the church, people that call themselves Christians, but are rotting it with sinful lifestyles and promoting false teachings to back it up. I think you can start to see why, because Peter gets more intense throughout the rest of the section. The reason for Peter's intensity is that this is a really enticing thing, isn't it? The, The very idea of being able to live however in whatever way pleases you physically the most. And, not, and to be able to do that guilt-free because you have created a teaching that absolves you of feeling bad about it. That's an enticing idea. That feels maybe even like freedom. Because that's what the world is teaching people. Look, just... Live however you want to live. Denying yourself is bad. It's wrong. And so just live how you want to live, and you shouldn't feel bad about it. In fact, what you should do is boast about it. And that feels like freedom. That's what they call freedom. And what Peter, that is a dangerous idea. Not dangerous because we want to have a big church with lots of people and lots of money. It's dangerous to your soul is what Peter says. It is destruction. Your, dis- the dis- your destruction is not asleep when you embrace that line of thinking. It leads people astray. It really is very much like that old phrase, like a sheep or a wolf in sheep's clothing. Wow, that's such a nice sheep. That person calls themselves a Christian. But underneath it is this evil, wicked thing that is saying, Hey, hey, come hang out with me. You know what the Bible really says about sex. You know what the Bible really says about your identity? God doesn't care. He just wants you to be free. You can see this plainly enough how enticing it is right now with many churches simply refusing to say out loud what the Bible says clearly about a lot of these issues. I think it's a new day for the church and part of what's new is that riding the fence doesn't work anymore. I've never been one for riding the fence. (laughs) But a lot of people, a lot of Christians are really, really seriously struggling with that. The, The world they live and work in is increasingly less tolerant and less able to bear with silence and people just going, I just can't, I don't want to be known for what I'm against. I just want to be left alone as a Christian. That doesn't work much anymore. And I love the fact that this very, very early church (laughs) was struggling with the same exact stuff. Same. It's not harder now. I don't know who told us that, but it's just not. It was just as hard for them. And in some ways, harder. In some ways, the cost of being socially weird to the culture was higher than it is now. In their world, it could get you killed. 
Because eventually Nero kind of got annoyed by this weirdness, this weird group that he thought was a cult. And he started to crush them, and eventually it got bloody. It's not harder for us. We are standing here in a long line of other Christians that came before us who dealt with the same problem, trying to be loving and gracious and careful with people and embracing and hospitable to people while at the same time never allowing the church to embrace things that aren't true. And it is not easy, right? So we were going to, next week and the week after, we're going to get more into this stuff. Um, I'm looking forward to it. It's just exciting to me to preach to faces. It's awesome for me. So let's pray, and then we'll close, and then let you get out of here. God, we just ask you right now to, God, first just to protect Living Hope Church, not from people, but from um, the destruction of the enemy. God, that we would be people who love the truth, not just in doctrinal form, but that we would love the truth in the way we live. God, help us to be zealous for the church, zealous for holiness, zealous for the sanctity of the body of Christ. And we ask you to help us with these things in these complicated days. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, love you guys. We'll see you next week.